glad to see that clip of the drone flying over the grounds, and the grounds are actually green now. I remember seeing that going, oh, I can't wait another eight months and it'll be summer. Seems a little dark in the room to me. Does it seem dark in the room to you? We forget to press a button, maybe? Don't worry about it. It doesn't bother me at all. <laughs> well, um, I just want to echo uh, what my wife said to Pontotoc, Mississippi, to Graham Blank, to the radio audience, to the live stream audience, that it's a good day. It's a good, good day, and I'm glad that you've made the decision to be here. It's like, if you're not from here, this is that day we all wait for where, like, the tigers are playing, hay fever's in full bloom, you know, the, the, the skinny deer are out eating our lawns, the, like, it's, it's becoming alive again, and you made the decision to come into the, an indoor building with no windows because you love Jesus, and I'm just saying, if there's a good neighborhood in heaven, my vote is you all get to live there, so... Nehemiah chapter 1. Open your Bibles there this morning. A little bit more lights in the house, please, guys, so they can read their Bibles. would be great. Nehemiah chapter 1. I've been kind of dealing with Nehemiah's chapter 1, 2, and 3 this morning, and I want to take a moment, just a moment, to review what we've learned so far, because I think that the story of Nehemiah and rebuilding the wall is probably one of the greatest biblical stories that help us as a local congregation to ask the same questions they asked, facing enemies. Uh, how do we stay in unity? What happens if we get tired halfway through? Uh, who are the heroes? Who are the villains? And helping us to understand what our role might be, even though it's like one brick, one block of stone, one kid, one hour, one moment, one dollar. But when we put it on there, what's interesting is the stones in the days of Nehemiah, many of them still stand today. They're still there. Like whoever put it there didn't waste their time putting it there. They invested their time, and it continues to stand to this day. So we learned this. We learned that when God restores a person, that he often does it by, by engaging or re-engaging their purpose. One of the great things about God's design on our lives is that his gifts and his callings, the Bible says, are without repentance. In other words, like we might have known who we were when we were kids, but then we wandered off in college or the military or the factory or whatever, and a, a heartbreak or two, a marriage or two, a kid or two, an addiction or two. We come back to Christ. I remember coming back to Jesus after going back to my addictions. Being the, the born-again kid who was the atheist living in his car was wonderful, but when I backslid in the military and went back to some of my addictions, when I came back to the Lord, I remember saying this thought that, that I forfeited every promise God ever made me. I'm just lucky to be forgiven. And what I didn't understand at that moment was God not only was planning on forgiving me, he was planning on restoring to me everything the devil stole from me. That who he thought I was had not changed by who I thought I was for a season. And that process of restoring who he thought I was continue back in my life. So we like to ask questions. We did it yesterday. We had 20-ish people in the membership class yesterday, and they broke up into groups of two or three. And I just asked this question, like, what did God save you from? And they took two minutes saying, this is, what, this is kind of my testimony. The other one went two minutes, and I came back and said, what do you believe God saved you for? And we took about a half hour, 45 minutes, and talked about that process of knowing. Listen, if, if Jesus and the blood of Jesus, the fat sacrifice of Jesus, the, the resurrection of Jesus has, has forgiven your past, that is wonderful. Somebody say amen. It's, like it's finished. It's paid for. But, but now there's this beautiful life that's waiting for us. We, we've misunderstood a scripture, I think, sometimes where it says that the way is narrow. You know, the few there are that find that way. Well, that's the way to salvation. The way to salvation is narrow. It's just Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Do you see that in Scripture? So that's narrow. That's not all roads lead to God. Although, by the way, all roads do lead to God. Not all roads lead to heaven, but everybody's going to stand before God. Just a thought. 
So I'm on that narrow road called Jesus, the way, the truth, the life. But once you get through that door into the kingdom of God, the kingdom is not narrow. The kingdom is expansive. The kingdom is an adventure. The kingdom is unending in every direction. The kingdom is, I'm just going to live a blessed life led by the Holy Spirit, rooted in his word, you know, just led by his love, knowing his mercy, knowing his grace, giving it to others. So once we get through that door into the kingdom, let me tell you something. The kingdom is huge. Somebody say amen, right? So what did God save you from? It's a great question, but what did God save you for? That's what we've been exploring. When God restores a person, he often connects them with others who would share that common purpose. In Nehemiah's day, it was the, the builders is what they were called. In us, it's called the church, the local church. That, not this church, but all churches. Any place where Jesus is Lord, where two or more gather together in his name, whether it's in a family room in Mississippi or Grand Blank or uh, an auditorium in Fenton, Michigan, where two or more gather together in his name, that now is this ecclesia. It's this church. Those who've been called from something to something together. And we see this. When God wants to restore somebody, very few people wander off into the desert and come back better people. Most of the time we go to meetings and go through our 12 steps. Most of the time we go to the gym to be inspired by those who are trying to train their bodies. Most of the time we go to some group of people heading in the same direction. Do you see that? So God said, you don't have to do this alone. Come together and iron will sharpen iron. And lastly, but probably most importantly, we have to shift our mindset from God is using me or the pastor or the ministry is using me to build their church. That is absolutely not true. Somebody say amen. I know I need a lot of amens today, but I was on vacation and I'm caffeinated, so amen. There we go. See, he's using this local church, this body to build us. Its demands are not demanding. Its demands are fruitful. Its demands cause a process to occur. I could teach you everything I know about love. We talked about this at the membership class yesterday. I could teach you all the original words in Greek and in Hebrew and the translations. How many of you know if I taught you everything there is to know about love, you don't know anything about love? Because you haven't loved anybody, you just know about it. We have to be very careful that we understand that there's a driver's ed Christianity that only reads the book but never gets behind the wheel. And there's a Christianity that gets behind the wheel and, and sometimes learns the book. <laughs> Both very important. Somebody say, you know, never mind. Too many times, right? So what is it that Nehemiah did? What is it, some questions, like what was their motivation? What was their understanding to do this amazing in a war zone accomplishment of building a wall that nobody wanted built except them? And they worked hard and they risked everything. What did they understand? Number one was this. Take notes this morning. It was clearly understood that their families were at stake. Think about this. The only thing that stood between their enemy and their sleeping children was what they were building. Think about that for a second. The only thing that stood between their little girl, their little boy, their wife, their grandmother, their grandfather, the only thing that kept the enemy out was what they were building. And so they built it with that in mind. This is not a homework assignment where C- minus was okay. Understand what a, what a fortified city is, what a wall is, is it, whatever it is, everybody that wants inside, that's going to defeat that defense, they're going to look for what to defeat? Anybody know? They're going to look for the, the weakest spot. So when they're building this, how many of you guys know that often their homes were built right up against that wall? Like the back door of their home was that wall. There was no back door, it was just a wall. So if their spot was the weakest spot, then the Assyrian army could come blasting into their daughter's bedroom at 3 o'clock in the morning in a full frontal attack. And so they built that wall, understanding that what I'm doing is the only thing that stands between the enemies and the families. That's it. Now, 
The scripture says this in Nehemiah chapter 3, beyond them, Benjamin, and I called him Hashub, which he owns a, he owns a, a store in Ann Arbor, uh, <laughs> made, made repairs in front of their house, and next to them, Azariah, son of some other guy, the son of some other person, made repairs besides his house. Look at this. Above the horse gate, the priests made repairs, each in front of his own house. So what they're, what they're doing is this. If I don't build this right and my part of the wall becomes the weakest part of the wall, I'm putting everything I truly love at risk. Let me just say this to you. Everybody look right here. They had to build it that way because there was an enemy. Let me say something else. That analogy, now this analogy. We have to build something for our children. This church and every church like it, every local ministry Every family room, every micro church, every home church, every mega church, we, this generation of builders is responsible to build something that protects the next generation behind us. And we need to build this church. We need to build a ministry where our kids can, can look back on it when they're my age and say, that's the church I went to when I was a kid, and it was a wonderful place full of loving people. We had a skate park. We had, a, we had vacation Bible school. They called it something else, but we never could remember its name. I remember getting covered in shaving cream. I remember the night that somebody came in, and it was, the, it was like one of the outreaches, and I invited my friends to come. I remember my friends walking down to an altar and kneeling before God and weeping as they gave their life to Jesus. I grew up in that church, and if it wasn't for the people in that church, I wouldn't be here today. How many guys are grateful for the Helen Trables and the Jeff and Kim Waltzes? That, that built something for our kids. I, and we just saw it this morning. We got those who built this. We got those who've been built by this. They were across the street smoking dope, and now they're on this platform on their way to Asia to work for Jesus. Like, it's a, I didn't know that when I wrote this, but I know it now, and it's really kind of a fun connection. I got goose pimples. All right, must be the Holy Spirit, right? So what kind of church, what kind of church do we want for our kids? And, and please, I, I, I'm, <laughs> my granddaughter said something very insightful to me the other day. Some of you have heard it, but we were driving to the beach, and... Um, just spontaneously, this two-year-old granddaughter of mine is precious. She said, I love you, Mommy. And Lawrence said, I love you too, Sing. I love you, Daddy. Josh said, I love you too, Francine. I, I, I love you, Hollis. Or brother, brother, I love whatever. You know? I love you, Gammy. And Dina goes, I love you too, sweetie. And then nothing. <laughs> so I went, hey, um, do you love Bapa? And she said, not yet. And I said, why not? She goes, Papa got attitude. <laughs> so what I'm about to say to you, I'm going to try to say to you without an attitude. I won't stamp my foot. I won't get angry, but here we come. Guys, hear me. We're not trying to build a restaurant that caters to the needs of this and the wants of that and the loves and the... We need to build a church squarely founded on the words of Jesus Christ. We, we need to have people in our children's ministry that love Jesus and love kids. They, they understood. If this thing isn't built right, the enemy gets in and they get into my kid's room. And if any weak spot, any place, it, once the wall is breached, it's as if we don't have a wall. We have to build this right. This is a church, and everyone in this church is causing this to be the church that someone will point at 20, 30 years from now and say, that's the church I grew up in. Now, what's the rest of that sentence? I grew up in that church, and it was a terrible place. A bunch of hypocrites told me to stop running, and then this guy ran off with that, and that lady ran off with those, and these people just, it's a big, it was a hypocrite convention. The reason I don't believe in God today is because of that church, or the reason I believe in God today is I was raised in a church of sincere believers 
that followed Jesus and sacrificially prayed and gave and served. I was so loved. I had seven caring adults in my life just by walking through the door one Wednesday night, Thursday night for youth ministry. We are the people, hear me, we are the people building something for our children before God. We should do it well. Second thing, it was clearly understood that anyone's weakness would shortly become everyone's weakness. Now, and what I mean by weakness is not, ah, yeah, that person says a naughty word, or that person probably shouldn't be doing that behavior. It's, I'm, this is not a morality weakness. It's a, I can't do it. There's something that needs to be done, and I'm really not capable of doing it. But understand this, that when they're building the wall, no one in recorded scripture of this story says the line, I, uh, that's not my job. Because there was a job, and there were people doing it. It became everybody's job. Look at these guys from Tekoa. The next section was prepared by the men of Tekoa, and it goes on. But look at verse 27. So this is 22 verses later. It says, next to them, the men of Tekoa repaired what? Another section from the great projecting tower of the wall of Ophel, right? So understand this, that there are some of us that are going to have to just serve a little bit more than others of us because having something not be there, having something not function, having something not get paid for, having something not be prayed for, having something that, that was an opportunity that we failed to take advantage of is unacceptable. So that means some of us have to do a little bit more than some of the rest of us. And we can say, well, how come those people never, I always, and it seems like no one, and I'm the only one who, and, I, and I'm, I'm not saying that that's untrue, but I am saying this, man. When we open those doors to people that don't know Jesus, we need to be at our best. When we gather together in our homes and we refine each other's lives with truth, scriptural truth and wisdom, we need to be at our best. The consistency, the, the, the understanding of the value of that. They protected their unity. Man, they watched over each other. They made sure that that city was finished. And when it was finished, it would be strong. Um, I'm, I'm hesitant because I might have an attitude. And, and maybe it's not even a thing anymore. But if anything caused the church to miss its greatest opportunity of our generation that I think we'll ever have, it was disunity. This opportunity where the world was scared and we had peace. We decided to forfeit our peace for war with one another in front of an unbelieving world. That's not to bring shame or condemnation. If it does, enjoy it. But don't, don't, don't do that. I'm just, I'm just simply saying this. If we've learned something from the past, let's not just regret the past. Let's make sure it never repeats itself in the future. I love every Christian leader in the body of Christ. And because I love them, I will protect them. I love every believer, from the guy who just raised his hand and kind of didn't know what he was doing last Sunday to the guy who's like a, a scholar and has led congregations of thousands. I, I believe that what Jesus' final request for us was should be obeyed. Do you know what it was? His final prayer in peace before he's arrested and crucified and beaten, his final prayer was, Father, let them be. Just like I'm in you and you're in me, let, let them be in us. Let them be one. That the world may know that you sent me. Come on, guys. The greatest testimony we can have is not our political affiliations. The greatest testimony we can have is not the color of our skin. The greatest testimony we can have is regardless of all the things that divide us, Jesus is greater and he unites us. doesn't mean we don't have causes. It means that it's one nation, but it's under God. Because it's under God, it's indivisible with liberty and justice for all. And where there isn't liberty and where there isn't justice for all, then we should do something about it as the church. But let's make Jesus preeminent in our words and our thoughts. They built this because if there's any spot that was weak, every spot was vulnerable. Look at this next thing. Few claimed an exemption from this labor, even when they could have. We got guys like the high priest. Could you imagine? 
Tom, would you mind standing up for a second? I, I don't mean to embarrass you, but I'm, I'm curious. Why is it you put a braid in the bottom of your beard? This may play into my sermon. Because I, <laughs> I thought there's like a, you know, when I go down the road to Harley and, and it, it, it divides, I got a part in the middle of my face. I thought it gets stuck in your food, something, but it, you like it. Okay, then sit down. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. So thank you. Thank you. And I, saw, I, I thought of the high priest. I just picture the high priest having a Tom beard. Like, like not, not Gandalf, but, but Tom. You know what I mean? Somewhere in there, not, not 60s, not 70s, not 80s, but just, you know what I mean? And, I, and I'm, how does this guy pick up a rock and mortar and not get his face stuck in it? And he has an excuse. His job, according to God, is to stand between men and him. And he said, hold on just a second. I got a wall to build. And when he did that, guess what? The other priest did the same thing. Oh, we're the holy people. We're the tribe of, you know, Judah, and we are Levites. We're... We don't have this, you know, we're not construction workers. Our hands are for holy purposes. They recognize that the work, the physical labor being accomplished was holy. The physical labor being accomplished was holy. Look at this. Goldsmiths and perfume makers. How many guys want those laborers on your crew? Chris Dickerson, are you in here somewhere? Chris, Chris lays rocks for a living. He takes, he takes rocks, he cements them and builds stuff out of them. That's, that's one of the things that he does. What's the name of your company? Statewide Stone? Yeah, four star, five star. I, whatever, sorry, big ones. All the big ones, right? Did the stonework out there and this sermon is being sponsored evidently by Statewide Stone. I just know where that came from but it does sound like an endorsement of sorts. So vote for him this November. But, but legit, um, a resume comes to Chris you know, do you have any experience? Well, yes, I, I do. Uh, in stonework, well, uh, sort of. I, I, I took fine little pieces of gold flake and I inlaid them and Chris was like, okay. What about your brother here? What have you done? I make perfume. Like, oh, good. <laughs> that hasn't anybody like ever used their back, <laughs> you know, to work? Listen, these are not the people that build walls. They had an excuse they weren't the strongest, they weren't the fastest, they weren't the most experienced, they weren't the best, but they weren't going to let the opportunity to do something historic pass. So they did it. They had an excuse. How about this guy, Shalom, and his daughters? The dude has no sons, so he shows up with his little girls. Remember, at one point, 28 days into this, there's a big kerfluffle, and everybody had to keep a sword in one hand and a trowel in the other. His daughters were carrying a sword in one hand and a trowel in the other. Lay the stone. They're, they're looking for the enemy. They're, he brought his daughters into a combat zone that was a construction site because it was just as much their city as any man in that city. You hear what I'm saying? They had excuses. They had reasons, but they didn't do it. Everyone can find a reason. Everyone can find an excuse. How many guys are too busy? I didn't even say, for what? You're just too busy. How many guys don't, I can't afford that. How many guys don't have time for that? How many guys, listen, there are all sorts of things God will invite us to that will make us what Jesus wants us to be, that will join us together, that will reignite our purpose. But we have to make room for the moments where God moves. We have to make room for that opportunity to share the gospel. We have to make room to serve that week in Vacation Bible School, also known as Explore Camp. We have to make room in our budget, in our prayer time, in our words, in our life, because God is building something with us or without us. I want to be a part of what he's building, because I realize that every house I live in will someday become dust. And I realize this room made out of steel and concrete will someday become a strip mall 50 years from now or something else. But what we build in each other in the kingdom of God will never turn to dust. It is the investment 
of a lifetime, and I hope to have a lifetime of investment to show my creator who gave me a part of his heart to do something with it. Everyone has a reason to stay home. Everyone has a reason not to serve. If you're at home today, this isn't a sermon against you. It's, it's the simple understanding that you can't blow up until you show up. You can get fed at home to some degree. And again, I, I, if you're at home, you're at home. That's, don't, I'm not criticizing you. Quit typing mean words. I don't have an attitude. You have an attitude. You have attitude. I don't have an attitude, right? But legit, man, until I'm connecting in a small group, until I'm serving by greeting people at the door, until, until I become who God made me to be in an active verb way, I, I am doing my imitation of what I think Christianity is supposed to be. Without your purpose, all that's left is morality. Your morality will come when you know who you are and begin to live that at a much higher level than just trying really hard not to do it again. When was the last time? Radio audience... Live stream audience, when was the last time you served in some meaningful way, not because it was your job, but because someone needed to do it? You walk to the door and there's one person, Miss Pat's like on a hugathon, running from door to door, trying to, you know, like, hey, is there a no mail showed up this morning? Oh, okay, Miss Pat, you keep the store, I'll grab my husband, we'll grab our kids, and, and you just, you say, I don't even know you're, we're allowed to do that at this church. I don't know if you are either, I'm just the pastor, but I'm saying this, listen, how many of you guys know that you don't need permission to love somebody here? You don't have permission to serve somebody here. Coffee spilled in the foyer way. The, you know, I don't know where the mop is, but if you tell me where it is, I'll go get it. How many of you guys know God goes, that's my boy? I know. It was a woman. But still, it sounds better <laughs> for my gender, right? I love this part where they lacked experience, strength, courage, skill. They seemed to make up for it with zeal. Zeal is a great thing. Come on, zeal is a great thing. Zeal is the guy who is just as lost as you are, but for some reason his attitude says, yeah, I'm lost, but we're making really great time. It's, it's wonderful. I've been on, on wonderful trips to wonderful places with people who lacked zeal and had a terrible time. Anybody else? I've been on terrible trips, suffering, physical heat, deprivation, dysentery with people with a great attitude and a great zeal and we had a wonderful time sitting on the outhouse next to the other person and, and just literally. I, what, what's the difference? I don't know. It's somebody goes, man, isn't this great? Isn't this great? We're in Haiti. We have dysentery. Hallelujah. <laughs> and the guy's like, you know, Charleston's okay, but the horse smell gives me allergies, and I just, you know, you just, I'd rather go to Haiti and have diarrhea than be with you right now. <laughs> you know, the secret to zeal is keeping your eyes on what God is doing or is going to do, and the secret to discouragement is keeping your eyes on what the enemy is doing or going to do. You want to keep your zeal? Just keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, and you'll keep your zeal, because he's doing stuff. He's doing stuff. And we get to be a part of what he's doing. He's doing stuff. So what's he doing? I don't know. He's doing stuff. He's doing stuff in the four-way. He's doing stuff in the parking lot. He's doing stuff in your heart in this room. He's doing stuff at the altars as we worship. He's doing stuff on the way home. God's doing stuff. How many of you guys know God's doing stuff? Well, on the seventh day, he rested. That's why he never works again. Like, no, man, the works of God continue to this day. His medium has changed, though. He's not using words to create. He's using words to mold. He's using words to motivate. He's using words to shift environments. I just want to remind you, God isn't using you 
to build this church. He's using a church like this, like the radio audience, like the wherever you are, wherever you are right now, in your car. If you're a part of community, he's using that community to build you. There's only one group that didn't work on the walls, and it was these guys. Remember the guys at Tacoa that were so cool? They had some nobles that were not so cool. They, they didn't serve. So think of this. War zone, heat, deprivation, daughters, perfume makers, goldsmiths, and they're all, they're all risking it all. They got their kids there and everybody's doing the best they can. And the wall, the rubble's getting smaller, the walls are getting taller. We hear the sound of carpentry now. They're building the gates, man. Once those gates are up and, and the, you know, the walls get built and we can put them, we can put them in their place. Like this, this will be a city like this. And the wall behind my home is great. And I, I made sure my little girls, that's not, they're not going to come through there. That's the hardest spot. That's the thickest spot in that wall. They're never going to get through there. My little girl's on the other side of that. I'm, I'm building something for her and for her generation and for my grandchildren, my great-grandchildren, my great-great-grandchildren. We're going to have a city again. We're going to have a home again. We're going to build something that's going to last. And these guys are sitting underneath a shade tree with long fingernails, smooth hands, flabby guts, watching people work. And as easy it would be for me to like go, hey, that's wrong. That's, I find myself sometimes underneath a shade tree when other people are working. You know what I'm talking about? And, and I, I don't mean to say that to, if you hear me today trying to motivate you through manipulation or guilt, you've misheard my heart. I don't want you to volunteer at Freedom Center Church but I do want you to find who you are. I do want you to find a place where you can give who you are away to somebody else and make a difference. So you keep talking about children's ministry. I don't like kids. Then don't serve in children's ministry. Listen, if you don't like kids, we don't want you to serve in children's ministry. The children don't want you to serve in children's ministry. Love kids and, and they love you. People, people in the three, four, and five-year-olds, my daughter-in-law leaves the three, four, and five-year-old section down there. You realize that often the first time a Jesus Christ is when they're three, four, and five years old. As you can say, man, these kids, would somebody spank these children? Can we just, you know, this week's theme? Instead, she, she gets on her knees and she sits on the stairs. She gets right in their face and she says, Jesus loves you. And for the first time, they go, Jesus loves me? What's what? I oh. I say, what's that mean? It's a miracle. He's four years old. We need to be where we're supposed to be. We need to do what we're supposed to do. Tom's supposed to be in biker ministry, leading a chaplain of rock motorcycles. Right on. So, and, and there's a blessing on the bikes this Saturday at the river. Oh, it's evil. Stay away. Sunday. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. See, Tom, like, like they're not recruiting anybody. Literally, I'm trying to find out if you could find out who you are so we could release you in a meaningful place. The thing is just satisfying as a hammer driving a not a hammer we, we need you to be tweezers eyes or lousy ears but if the body of Christ could figure out what we were and simply be that fidelity to one another how many guys know we're going to build something that someday our children are going to point at since I ever had I wandered off in college I wandered off in the military I wandered off the first but you know what I, after a while I said you know I'm unhappy when was the last time I was happy like a person remembering where they put their keys they, they drove by the church and said that was the last time I was happy you know how many times we've seen that that was the last place I knew who I was. That was the last place I felt loved. That was the last place I felt like I had a community around. That was the last place. And it's still there. How many of you guys want to be a church for the next generation? I, the city was rebuilt in 56 days, but those guys weren't, man. So the question is this. What you going to do?
What you gonna do? Freedom Center, they don't have that. Then come on, I'll buy you a cup of coffee. We'll figure out how to start one. You know, a group for blended families, wouldn't that be awesome? You've been through that? You know how to navigate that? I think we've got one for moms right now, but not one for dads. Um, trying to think of other groups. Uh, groups for middle-aged kind of flabby guys to get back in shape. Someone should start that. I'm looking at dozens of customers right now. <laughs> I, I'm not. I'm not looking at anybody. I'm not looking at what you're talking about, you know? Come on. Teach me how to eat, man. Teach me how to work. Teach me how to save my money. Teach me how to love my grandkids. Teach me how to love my wife. See, Jimmy, you've been married for 30-some years. I don't know how many years. Teach me how to remember that. You know what I mean? Teach, just, let's just, whatever we have, let's give it away. And let's make sure by the time we're done, there's no low spots in the walls. There's no shallow places for the enemy to get into. They built a city in 56 days. This church has been going for like 56 years, 60 years, I think it's, I think it's the anniversary. It's 60 years. We've been working on this city a long time. Come on. We're not done, though. We're not done. Father, I pray that today we'd answer that question on the screen. What's your part in this project? Maybe it's to write music. Maybe it's to sing it. Maybe it's to play. Maybe it's to vacuum stains that bother you out of the rug. Maybe it's children's ministry. Maybe it's youth ministry. The only people that want to be with kids are people called to be with kids. The only people called to be with junior high schoolers or the only people that want to be there are people that are called to be there. There's a desire in our heart. It was you that put it there. There's a desire in our heart. It's you that put it there. What are we going to do with this gift? Some of us are goldsmiths. Some of us are perfume makers. What, what could we possibly do? I don't know. But showing up and loving seems to be the most powerful thing we're good at. So I pray God today we wouldn't go to church. We'd be the church. A church that somebody will point at decades from now and say, that's the church that changed my life. Help us to be that church, God, I pray. A couple thousand years later, people can still, if they were alive, could point at the rock and say, that's the stone that I laid with my daughters. That's the stone that I laid. My tender hands were full of calluses by the time I laid that stone. I was a perfume maker. I was the least qualified person on that job site. I laid one stone a day. Others laid 10 stones a day. Those guys from Tekoa, they were nuts, man. It was nothing like them. But that stone that I laid is still where I put it. And it will stay there until Jesus comes. We build with a medium far more diligent, far more resilient, far more eternal than stones, God. We, we work with the, the souls of mankind. Help us lay our foundations well. Just stand your feet all over this room right now. Nobody leave. Jesus, I pray. Anybody here today that doesn't know who they are, tell them. Anybody here that's lost today, God, find them. Anybody here that's empty today, Father, fill them. Anybody here that lacks purpose or just filled with fear and dread and anxiety, God, take it away and give them hope and zeal for the kingdom of God. I know that there's so many bad substitutes that are out there, God, and I pray that they'd be replaced by the original. Let us not find our identity in anything less than you. You tell us who we are. You send us to war. You send us to work. You send us to love, God, and we will go and be faithful to those commands, God. You do it. If you're here today and you're not right with God, let me tell you something. Jesus died on the cross not to institute a holiday, but to institute a, a covenant. His blood paid the price for my sin once and for all. One time and for all mankind. Today, by trusting who he is, by walking in relationship with him, by knowing him, not, not religion, not your favorite translation of the Bible, 
not the Republican platform, the Democratic platform, the, the Socialist platform, by loving Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and making him preeminent in your life, in a decision, in a moment, you get to go from lost to found, dead to alive, blind to sight. You, with your free will, can choose God or reject him here and now. My prayer is that you will receive into your heart, into your life, the mercy of Almighty God who loves you. He will fill you with the Spirit. He will send you to the nations, maybe across the street, whatever obedience looks like. You're here right now and you say, I need him. Come on, your own way right now. Just tell him, God, I need you. I need you to need you right where I'm at. I need you to change my life. I need you to forgive me of sins. I need you to give me a fresh start and a clean slate. I need you to empower me with your spirit. I need you. I need you. I need you. Today, Father, I need.